the vital way. Where ancient wisdom meets the cutting edge to optimize your vitality and performance. There are no right ways, just better ways. Welcome to the vital way. Logan Christopher here along with Cloud Christopher. And today we figured we'd talk about uh, really kind of what started this whole company, Superman Herbs. Today we're talking about pine pollen. Uh, just a disclaimer before we begin, this is not medical advice. It's not intended to be. Only doctors can help you with anything. So that being said, let's talk about pine pollen. Where do you want to start, Cloud? Well, first I'd like to, I, I, I love your statement there. Doctors, <laughs> we're not doctors, so we can't tell you anything. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Where do we want to start with pine pollen? Well, Pine pollen, so what is pine pollen, you know? What is it, what is it for, let's say, right? Well, pine pollen, as the name suggests, is the pollen from the pine tree. Uh, This has been used historically in China for a long time, but as far as the Western herb or most people on the planet, they haven't heard of using pollen medicinally. Uh, something that is popular over here is bee pollen, which is pollen from a variety of different flowers. Uh, and there's definitely some other pollens, but pine pollen, there's something definitely unique and interesting about it, which is uh, well, why Before so... we get into it, I think, and then I wasn't clear, like, what is pollen, though? It is basically the seed of life for a plant, mm-hmm. right? And, you know... Some of the herbs, other herbs we have, like shilajit, which in some forms is you could view it as concentrated life. Uh, but basically, you know, going with some of our nutrition theories, or maybe this is just my personal stuff, but, you know, things that are the beginning of life tend to be very nutritious, you know? Right. Well, yeah, you need a lot of – there needs to be a lot there in order for it to support life, so – a lot of our, you know, more common food groups, I mean, eggs are highly regarded as quite nutritious. Or some people even call them, like, the perfect nutrition. A host of different vitamins and minerals, especially if it comes from a quality source, like pastured chickens, that sort of thing, as well as being, you know, pretty high in protein. It's got cholesterol, got decent amount of fat, all kinds of good things. And then you have nuts and seeds, which are sort of another aspect of the beginning of life of many plants, uh, so the pollen is it's one part of that sort of operation, but that 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 is a very good point. Anytime you're going for these sort of re- reproductive foods, and I'd say like milk, dairy, that can be highly nutritious depending on the person as well. Uh, any of these foods tend to be good foods and have a lot of nutrition in them. Yeah, and my whole point of that is leads to let's say the nutritional component of pine pollen powder you know Mm -hmm. it said that pine pollen powder contains over 200 different nutrients in it right i mean it has nearly all the vitamins doesn't have vitamin c but it has a lot of vitamins got a whole host of minerals not all of them it's not like shilajit it doesn't have all of them uh and it has a full spectrum amino acids you know and then it's got a whole host of all these other things, you know, like nucleic acids, flavonoids, isoflavonoids, 
actually, I always forget now because the lithium yeah, still Tons of antioxidants. It has uh, SOD, super oxide dismutase, as well as a bunch of others. And I believe uh, that it helps to support the uh, body in making glutathione, which is sort of the master antioxidant in the body, the human body. Yeah. I mean, and there's just tons of stuff, like oleanic acid, alpha-linoic acid, lignans, like you said. Uh, well, there's MSN, superoxide dismutase, polysaccharide, monosaccharide. There's enzyme, fiber, polyphenols, keratin. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. A lot of this stuff, like I used to buy resveratrol, MSN, you know, a few other things all by themselves. And when I discovered pine pollen, I realized, you know what, maybe I don't need to buy these synthetic versions, and I can just, you know, take the pine pollen and be okay. Yeah, I mean, you're the one that started calling it uh, nature's multivitamin, right? Uh, Just because it really, I mean, it may not be as complete as some of those well-formulated things out there, but uh, definitely it's a good base from which to start, and if you're watching your diet on top of that, it should be... Yeah, I mean, that all came about. I had a friend ask, you know, do I, if I take pine pollen, do I need a multivitamin? And that got me curious. Well, with herbs, do you need a multivitamin? And, and I ended up writing a blog piece that's still on the website, you know, uh, for that same thing. If you take this stuff, do you need a multivitamin every day? And to my horror, you know, doing the research for the article, I came across all the bad things that are put into multivitamins, mm-hmm. which, you know, led to my current belief that man basically doesn't know what they're doing, and nature does. When man creates nutrients in the lab in synthetic form, well, let's say they tend to not, they tend to be missing cofactors that either make it work or make it not be toxic, let's say, whatever it is. I've seen more than a few studies that were halted due to the fact that synthetic vitamins were harming the study participants and in some cases even, you know, causing child mortality uh, Hmm. in uh, unborn babies. And that was kind of scary how vitamin E can do that or vitamin Mm -hmm. A. You know? Yeah, definitely lots of synthetic forms, which are, they look at the chemical structure and it's similar to uh, what's natural, but uh, just because something similar can have a dramatically different effect and like one extra thing that they add on uh, can completely change what the body's able to do that with it. And th- th- this isn't to say there aren't any good multivitamin mineral supplements out there, oh. uh, just that, that, those are the synthetic ones. Uh, here's a hint. If uh, you have a multivitamin and you're supposed to take one a day, it's going to be crap. It's not going to be good enough for one. Uh, well, you don't actually need vitamins. Don't take up that much stuff. But as far as like a multi-mineral supplement, uh, it, it's going to take more than a single capsule full of something in order to adequately supply you with optimal nutrition. But this all being said, if you are going with the multivitamin, multi-mineral supplement, you'll want to get something that is derived from food. So although they're sort of oftentimes isolating the single nutrients, but sometimes they're just compounding them so that those cofactors are in there as well, 
as having whatever level of, say, vitamin K they're trying to get with that supplement. Yeah, and along that road, too, if you're going to look at your supplements, you can or look at your multivitamin on the back of it. When it says vitamin C, in parentheses, whatever, ascorbic acid, that is synthetic vitamin C that is made by man. And all the vitamins uh, I've seen on some labels, you know, they will all be synthetic. They will have their scientific name beside them. And that's one way I, you know, I think you can tell whether it's man-made or not. You can tell on the labels whether they use food or not by looking at the ingredients. If it just is vitamin C and then you see a food in the ingredient that you know contains vitamin C, then it's probably from a more natural source because they have to put where they derived it from. In some cases. <laughs> well, I think not everyone follows the rules. Right. <laughs> and the rules are hard to follow anyway. They don't sure don't make it easy. But, yeah, some uh, a lot of the synthetic vitamins are made through uh, oftentimes actually like genetically modified bacteria and yeast that they use to grow these. And um, it may not be the best thing ever. I mean, in some cases it may not be harmful. And, uh, like ascorbic acid, uh, there is quite a bit of research, different people saying different things. There does seem to be some use with that, and it does definitely play the role of vitamin C. But, you know, when in doubt, natural is better. That's kind of the rule of thumb that we try to live by and espouse for other people uh, because, I mean, there is so much stuff we don't know. I was just recently hearing about uh, folic acid, not folic acid, as we talk about in Chilajit, but actual folic, excuse me, folic acid, B9, I believe it is. But uh, the some people don't even work well with that, especially if it's coming from a more synthetic derived source while you need actually folate and then there's debate about you know are these actually different things or just different words for them so kind of confusing all that and, and that's for that reason just because you know they used to say oh folic acid is great for everyone but new research is coming out saying it may not be the best for everyone and that's what really seems to be happening cyclically with our science we say something's great then we discover oh it may not be so great <laughs> so when you're loading up on all these even if it's naturally alive, derived, isolated nutrients, it may not be the best thing. So that's why we like herbs, because nature is wise. And sure, there's definitely poisonous things in nature, and certain things can definitely be overdone. But I'd say overall, it's a little bit of a safer route. Yeah, and I have even seen some, uh, let's say, pictures of what natural vitamin C is meant to look like. You know, I don't know if it was just a, I think it was just a diagram, but basically, you know, natural vitamin C looked like a slice of an orange, you know, with all its cofactors and everything, and then ascorbic acid next to it looked like an orange with no nothing in the, in the uh, inner part of it. It had a center and an outer, and there was nothing in the middle. So yeah. just by that diagram, it would show... You know, you don't have all those cofactors in it to actually maybe help the vitamins activate or, you know, make things not be bad for you, whatever it is. And then a synthetic one, if it doesn't have the cofactors, where what's your body going to do with the vitamin? You know, it's going to need to 
deplete its own pool of cofactors just to utilize it. And some people say that makes, you know, your body pull things out of other areas just to use it. And so you're not actually supplementing your diet. You're taking stuff out of yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. It can lead to, if you take a multivitamin year after year, every single day, can that lead to problems down the line because you've been slowly pulling stuff out of yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there was a study a while ago where they said, like, oh, multivitamins don't actually help you with any sort of health effect they were looking at. And that's probably because they were looking at these cheap, crappy synthetic vitamins versus something that's actually food-derived and more natural. And, yeah, so, some of that stuff may have some benefit, but like you're saying, you also may be sort of fighting yourself with some of the other stuff in there. Yeah. And so in some cases, you know, I know myself, I consider pine pollen powder to be more of a food than a, an herb, you know. It's a mm-hmm. whole, it's a complete source of, let's say, vitamins, some minerals and everything else with all the cofactors needed so your body can use them. Mm-hmm. And I really think, you know, the pine pollen powder, a lot of it has to do with nutrition. A lot of the benefits people derive are the nutrition component of it because all of a sudden, you know, someone adds all this nutrition into their di- into their diet where maybe they've been eating processed foods for a long time and they've been lacking, you know, and all of a sudden their body's getting this micronutrition that they didn't have before, and their body, Mm -hmm. you know, just loves it. A lot of customers just, they take pine pollen powder to start, and their body just loves it. All of a sudden they can sleep better, they have better energy, they don't crave sugars as much, you know. The list is just really long of the benefits it can give you. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is due to the nutritional component of the pine pollen powder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But but that's not all. (laughs) The sort of uh, unique thing, or mostly sort of unique among the herb world, is that pine pollen, in addition to all these vitamins, minerals, cofactors, antioxidants, everything that has in it, it also is a source of phytoandrogens. Now, most people haven't heard that word phytoandrogen, but if you've been in sort of the health world, you've likely heard of phytoestrogens, which are estrogenic-like compounds found in different plant foods. For whatever reason, and it may just be because we haven't looked as much, but phytoandrogens seem to be a lot more rare in the plant world. There's just not as many of them, but once again, that may just be because we haven't been looking for them, so we haven't identified them. Uh, but pine pollen is like the one source that is a pretty good source of them and that it's common enough so it's not that hard to find. So right. with these phytoandrogens, there's unique individual like plant steroidal compounds like gibberellins and racinosteroids, but they have the same uh, steroidal compounds, the same androgens as humans have. There's DHEA, there's testosterone, I believe there's androstenedione, a couple of the other sort of testosterone metabolites or related androgens as well. Yeah, and uh, some people, they may be really familiar, or maybe from back in the day, I remember when Mark McGuire was chasing the home run uh, record, and all I heard about on the 
TV all the time was androgens, 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 you know, androgen, mm-hmm. this and that. That's what he was taking. That's how he hit all the home runs was yes. andro, androgens, you know. Yeah, and, well, they called it Andrew so, for short, even though there's a couple with very similar names that all start with that. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, and uh, we do get asked a lot, too. Well, I don't, you know, why does this come from China? You know, why don't you get it here? That is a very good question. Uh, if we could well, find a good source of it, someone that's actually collecting this stuff like they do in China, because it's not an easy thing to collect. I remember uh, one of our customers like, oh, I got pine trees nearby. I'm going to go try to get this. And I thought the same thing myself. <laughs> and then you go and try to, like, shake the little pine needles and stuff, and it is not easy to get this powder out of the uh, pine tree. <laughs> it is not. It is a fun game. And then you end up covered in pine pollen, too. I, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> it is fun. But, I mean, I what I tell people, a lot of, you know, the, the, so the phytoandrogens are a huge component to the benefit and what it, the pine mm-hmm. pollen powder can do. Well, the species of tree that has the most phytoandrogens, uh, the, what is it called? Pinus Masonian, right? Mm-hmm. And where does that tree grow? That's in China. It grows in China. It doesn't grow other places that I know of, mm-hmm. right? Oh, so if the one with the most phytoandrogen grows there, that's where we're going to get the pine pollen from, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that other pine pollen doesn't also have it. It's just... One, once again, that's been used historically for a long time, and you know, that's where the sources are. Uh, it's, it's probably true that all different pine pollen, I would wager, they all have differing amounts, as well as probably some other trees as well. But once again, that's what we know right now. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to find a study on a ponderosa pine pollen. You know, on well, yeah, I mean, there, there's barely even studies regarding the pine pollen we do have. Unfortunately, we'd like to see more, but science takes a while to catch up to things because it takes money, it takes time in order to do these things, and someone needs to be willing to front the large amount of money it does take to do a clinically valid double-blind study. Right, right. And then in that case, if there's no science to back it up, what do we turn to is what the ancients have done. You know, yep. like you're saying, there's there's record of, in Chinese medicine, them using pine pollen for various reasons. And in my opinion, they wouldn't have used it if it didn't work, you know, or if it was bad for people. The stuff would have fallen out of favor. It wouldn't have been written about. People wouldn't be using it. Mm-hmm. So... And if we're talking about uh, why it's being used now, we really have to give a shout-out to uh, Stephen Harrod Buner, who has wrote a whole bunch of different uh, books, a a pretty well-known herbalist who really helped you popularize this idea of using pine pollen uh, because without him, I don't know if we'd even still now know about it in the West. Probably not. Probably not. I don't think so. He was one of the reasons that helped us to find it, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was uh, inspiring someone else to start a company so we could discover it. 
and then mm-hmm. later study his stuff, you know, to know, have way more knowledge about it because he does seem to be the uh, pioneering expert on it. Mm-hmm. But going back to what you're saying, there's not really studies backing this stuff up. I mean, there was like a couple of limited rat studies. Like there's one I remember going over that showed that the pine pollen could help with arthritis, um, you know, works in rats. Uh, have we heard anything from any of our customers saying it's helped in that? I don't know if we have. Arthritis, uh, not that I can recall. Uh, but we have heard lots of other things, and that's the thing. Like, you know, you, are, are you really going to wait for double-blind clinical studies in order to experience something yourself, especially if it does have a thousand-year-old reputation in the real herbal system, but you try it out, you hear all this anecdotal evidence. I mean, that's what really led us to some of our discoveries, like the morning wood effect was just our own experiences with it. And then, you know, that kind of led golden thread into different things that we've done and more research and where we're going next with different nerds and that sort of thing. Yeah. And you can also just the tremendous amount of people um, that, you know, like I said, I always started customers, start with the pine pollen, see what that can do. And the amount of people that ended up loving it, you know, I could count on one hand how many people didn't like it. You know, it was that mm-hmm. few. Everyone loved it so much right in the beginning, and it just helped them so much, whatever way that was, you know. For me, I remember in the beginning just at some points I was, like I said before, I was hardly eating. I was just having pine pollen and shit all the time, you know. And sometimes, you know, micronutrition, one of my experiments was just getting all the micronutrition I could from herbs and seeing how little food macronutrition I actually needed to maintain myself, you know. And it was surprising to me how little I needed to eat when I was had adequate amounts of micronutrition. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's really what our body is looking for. Yeah, obviously you need sufficient calories from the, the main sources. You need fat, uh, protein, and carbohydrates. Actually, carbohydrates aren't actually a necessary nutrient, though they do seem to help with certain things, including testosterone production. Uh, but... <laughs> As you're, when you're hungry, usually your body is seeking out micronutrients, and the reason obesity is such a problem is because people are eating all this food, tons of macronutrients, tons of calories, but with none of the micronutrients in it. And so that's if you're not getting what you really need from food, which is, I'd say as far as your health is concerned, like the micronutrients are just as important, if not more so, than macronutrients. If you're not getting that, then you can just be shoveling in the food and you're never really satisfying that sort of hunger that is there for micronutrients. And they say that when you get cravings for food, you know, you may crave ice cream or something, but there's something in that ice cream that actually signals a micronutrient. So if you ate something else that fulfilled that, then that craving would go away. Yeah, yeah. So, And I definitely have talked to plenty of customers where, you know, pine pollen uh, lowers their craving for sugar. You know, or yeah. like I said before, they don't, they just don't have the same amount of cravings for food or sweets that they used to have once they start a good regimen of pine pollen. Mm-hmm. 
Well, what's interesting is that we, we talked about taste and whatnot in the other ones, and the pine palm is slightly bitter. And uh, I was just reading up recently how, you know, definitely in our Western culture, like people don't eat bitter, but that bitter taste sort of counteracts the uh, sweet taste. So the more you have that, then the less you'll actually crave sweets generally. So I, I found that very interesting. <laughs> but it's always funny when I hear people say, oh, it's, oh that pine pollen tastes bad. It's like, oh, you haven't had nothing yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because uh, compared to some of the other herbs, pine pollen's is nothing. Great. Definitely. And, and you know, we've experienced in our own family people that will not take the pine pollen because they don't like the taste. They don't care what mm-hmm. it does. It's too too bitter, too whatever, and they just won't take it. Mm. Well, whatever. If you don't want it, I'm not going to force you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, force feeding pine pollen, that's not something we're all right, so uh, you you wanted to talk a little bit about the morning wood. I think that's a, a cool thing. So basically when we started with pine pollen, everyone was saying, oh, you just need a small amount, right? Like a quarter teaspoon, a half teaspoon. But as we I were researching, with, how much? I was going to say I started with two teaspoons a day. Okay. Well, yeah, some people advocate even less than that. But uh, as we were doing more research, then uh, basically it's, uh, one of the books we were going through said that in China, people use up to 10 tablespoons of pine pollen per day. It's like, okay, that's a lot more than anyone's been taking. Let's try this out. And it was really when we started experimenting with that that uh, the morning wood effect came into <laughs> more of an effect, that it really became significantly noticeable. And uh, once I noticed that, then I was like, hey, is anyone else noticing this and got some feedback on it? And then we was like, you know what, this seems to be a pretty uh, frequent occurrence among people. didn't seem to work for every single one, and obviously this is only a male effect, but it did seem to work, I don't know, from what I've heard, uh, for the majority, uh, even most of men notice this effect when taking at least a good dose of the pine pollen. Yeah, I mean, I know when I first started taking these herbs, you know, I was a young man at, what, 32. I didn't need any help, any, you know, <laughs> but just taking pine pollen and shilajit, you know, I boy, did I get help and whatever. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to stop taking this stuff because I think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a thing, you like know? you... And that's even if things are already working well there, uh, I'd say most people notice an improvement. And so it was just that kind of led me into researching more about morning wood, which I still think that's like a really funny thing to be like pouring through studies and researching about. And uh, came to some realization that with morning wood, it's not just whether you have it or you don't have it, but you can look at some other factors like how hard is it, how long does it last, uh, do you have it multiple times in the night or in the morning? Uh, these are different factors, which, of course, have correlation to other times when you might want to have that same sort of effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so why does it not always work? Right. I mean, why does that, it work 100% mm-hmm. of the time for 100% of the people? Right. Uh, unfortunately, nothing works 100% of the time for 100% of people. Uh, that's why we like to 
give some different options. But if we're talking about the morning woods thing, why does that not work? Um, if we're talking about that or like impotence, there there can be a number of different factors. So your hormonal profile is definitely one thing. Like in order for that to be working, you do need a fair amount of testosterone. That's one aspect. But there are some other things as well. Uh, a big part of it can be circulation and some different aspects of that. So that's actually something we're doing a little bit more research on now because, one, the blood may not flow in there properly, or once it's in there, it may leave too quickly. And if either of those are an issue with the uh, veins allowing the blood to go or it's not getting in properly, then that can stop the effect from happening, even if your testosterone happens to be good enough. Right. And I have had, you know, talked to some customers where they start taking pine pollen and they're like, well, it's getting a little better. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not satisfied with the results, but it's doing something, you know. Yeah. So I'd say that's probably, that's common as well. So, yeah, if you do jump up your testosterone, the other androgens, then it may help, but it may not solve everything because those things can also be issues as well. Yeah, you could have real other physiological or hormonal things going on, like you're saying, that don't, mm-hmm. you know, starts to work a little, uh, but then it still doesn't fix it completely because there's other aspects that need to be mm-hmm. addressed. And sometimes yeah. it can be difficult to figure out, you know, exactly what's going on. Right. And that's the thing. Uh, with hormones, if we're looking at that and just trying to, like, increase our testosterone, um uh, Hormone, uh, it for women, it's way more complex than men because they have their monthly cycle and everything, so things go up at certain times and down to others. So it's way more complicated for women, but that doesn't mean men's hormones are simple either. I mean, there's so many different moving parts. So uh, if pine pollen doesn't seem to be helping with those or other benefits that may come with testosterone, it may be because of a couple other issues. Uh, one that comes to mind is, even if you're getting all this pine pollen and it's providing these different antigens, uh, if you don't have sufficient zinc, if you are deficient in that, then your body isn't really able to uh, create testosterone to enzymatically transform it from some of the precursors into that and other things like zinc's used in creation of sperm. I've heard it said there's five milligrams of zinc per load that is used, and of course that's going to depend on the person. But if you're deficient in this critical nutrient, which I would wager that pine pollen has some, but it's not really a big supply of it, then that could stop your hormones from really being optimal. Even though the pine pollen may help a little bit, it may not be enough. Right. And in that case, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Try some of the other herbs. Well, yeah. that this is really something to play with, and of course, it's it's not just about the herbs. You may need certain lifestyle interventions. You know, if you're really trying to optimize your testosterone, uh, don't forget the basics. Make sure you're getting sufficient quantity and quality of sleep. The same thing with water, because if you're dehydrated, nothing works right. Uh, you should be doing the right sort of workouts that help. Uh, increased testosterone, and working out too much can definitely lower it. So you want to be careful with that. Uh, then eating right sort of food, going to organic food because, you know, conventional food, all the pesticides, those are all xenoestrogens, which are going to slow down the process of optimizing your testosterone or 
make it go in reverse. So all, all these different factors, you really need to work on those basics. And these herbs, they're really kind of that supplemental support. Yes, we know that they can be very powerful, but they really shouldn't take the place of doing things like those basics. We'll be concluding this discussion in next week's podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.